Good morning. I'm Billy. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And like Dom said, we are continuing our study of the book of Matthew. We're going to finish chapter 19 this morning. And the title of this morning's sermon is A Treasure Worth Treasuring. A Treasure Worth Treasuring. I'll be reading and teaching exclusively from the New Living Translation, the NLT, this morning. And so I made sure to put all the scripture that I'll be reading will be up on the screens so we can uh, kind of follow along as well in case you have a, a different translation. So Matthew chapter 19, let's read this whole chunk of scripture. We're starting in verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And then Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Classic Peter right there, right? <laughs> Verse 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your amazing, incredible love. We thank you, God, for the grace that you demonstrate toward us. This morning, Father, we appeal to your grace. We appeal to your Father's heart for us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you would bless and anoint the teaching of your word, that we would receive and respond. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us through Jesus Christ. May he be exalted this morning in his name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, this passage of scripture is usually titled in your Bible, The Rich Young Ruler, right? Because the guy's rich, he's young. Um, in the parallel account in the book of uh, Luke, it tells us that he's a ruler. And so it, it's kind of hard to think about this guy and not be uh, at least a little bit jealous, right? Um, it seems that he had it all. He had wealth, he had security, the comfort, the lifestyle, the opportunities that would accompany a wealthy person, someone that, someone that had disposable income and disposable time. He was young, right, which is a big thing. It's a, it's a big thing in our culture like it was then. Interesting that they mentioned that he was young then. In our culture, you know, we want to be adults. 
until we become an adult, right? And then we spend our whole adulthood wishing we were younger. Like, being young is a thing, and this guy had that as well. He was wealthy, he was young, and he also had this authority. He had this power or this, this influence of some kind. We all kind of know people like this. Uh, maybe the people we know aren't quite like, you know, have the whole, all three points nailed like this guy does, but we all know wealthy people with influence or young people who are wealthy or, or whatever. And so when we read this passage, just being honest with you, I think, I know I do, I think we have the tendency to think like of the rich people we know. And we're like, man, I bet you so-and-so is going to be super uncomfortable today, right? Like, this is like might be the only day of your life where you're kind of glad that you're not super wealthy, you know? And I get that because I think that's kind of our, all of our initial read on this passage because Jesus kind of really does just nail the rich guy in this passage as it seems in an initial reading. But there's so much more going on than that initial surface reading. In fact, I would argue that this passage, as I've been studying and praying through this passage the last couple of weeks, like really asking the Lord and seeking God, is there's a you know, there's a million different things you can bring out in a passage like this, but God, what is your word for us as a church today? What would you have us hear today? How do we respond in light of the truth of your word? How do we therefore change our lives to conform to your word? I believe it is a timely word for every one of us. And every sermon I've ever heard on this uh, passage always begins by some kind of a statistic about how many times the Bible talks about money, right? And, um, and rightly so, because in the New Testament, one out of every ten verses throughout the entire New Testament addresses money or possessions or the love thereof. It's similar in the Old Testament. And so we see this theme. It's an important topic in the Bible. And so we have to start by asking ourselves, why is wealth and our connection to wealth such a thing? Why is it so important? Why does it occupy so much real estate in the pages of Scripture? And it's not because the Bible condemns wealth. The Bible doesn't condemn wealth. Nor does the Bible condemn the earning of wealth. In fact, God uses wealthy people throughout the Bible. There are other people in the Bible that God blesses with wealth, right? Like, just, just lays wealth on them which is just an amazing gig, it seems, you know. But this text is especially important for us today because I would argue that everyone in this room, the people that we do life with here in Ventura County, that in the world today, as God looks at the globe, we are the wealthy. We are the wealthy of the world. Nearly half of the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. There are 7.4 billion people walking on the planet right now. 7.4 billion. That means uh, about 3.5 billion people are living on less than $2.50 a day. There's 1.3 billion people, an additional 1.3 billion people, live on less than $1.25 a day. That, that's the, the, the line for extreme poverty. So probably every one of us, in comparison to more than half of the world's population, in comparison, most of us probably have the opportunity to make and spend wild amounts of wealth compared with much of the world's population. We are the wealthy of the world. This passage is about us. Today's message is for me. And so Jesus says this, that it is very difficult for the wealthy to enter heaven. Notice he doesn't condemn wealth. Jesus isn't saying that, that wealth equals no heaven, right? That's not, the, that's not what's being said in this passage. But he does warn us about the challenges of wealth. 
In fact, Scripture specifically warns us over and over about the dangers of loving wealth or being too tied to our wealth. Remember what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, it's not money that's the problem, as Paul's saying here. It's the craving of money that causes trouble. Craving wealth can cause us to wander from the truth. Craving wealth can cause us to be pierced with many sorrows, the Apostle Paul's saying. So what, what is it about wealth that causes us to wander? What is it about wealth that causes so much of the pages of Scripture to be devoted to this one thing? What is it about this rich young ruler's wealth that caused him to wander? Just as Paul said, the love of money would cause you to wander from truth. What is it about this rich young ruler who wandered away from Jesus when he heard the truth? Sad. Remember, he's a wealthy young ruler. He had it all, so to speak. In addition to those three things we know about him, rich, young, uh, influence, there are many other details we can, we can learn about this guy just by doing a little bit of study on this passage. And, it, and by all accounts, it seems like he's a great guy. First of all, the question that he comes to Jesus with, he's, he's thinking about and he's concerned with good spiritual things. He wants to know about eternal life. He's, he's concerned about his connection with God. He wants to make sure that he's on the right path. He wants to make sure that he's covering all his bases. He's thinking about these things, good spiritual things. We, we can also see that he's reverent. He seems to know and respect the law of Moses. We know that he's respectful. The, the apostle Mark, in his account of the rich young ruler, tells us that this young guy respectfully kneels before Jesus while he's asking these questions. He comes with great respect, honoring Jesus as a teacher, right, and, and showing his respect, kneels before him. We know that he's morally upright. He seems confident in his attempts to keep the law. He would, have a, he would have all the reasons in the world to be a confident young man, right? He'd be confident in his financial security and his social standing. He was, he's morally aware and socially aware. He strives to keep the law of Moses. And so according to his religion, he, he could be confident. He's respectful and reverent. So young people and old people probably liked him. This guy might have seemed like the perfect guy. Right? People from the outside might have said, man, that guy looks perfect. That, that guy, he, he's got it all going on right now. Right? He's, in every way, I can't find one thing wrong with him. That, that probably was the image that this guy put out. That, that would be the result of having all of these amazing characteristics. And yet, the question that he comes to Jesus with, it reveals that he still has these deep spiritual longings and these sincere questions of faith. He's doing all this. He's got all this going for him. But he's got this, this foundational, sincere foundational issue that he's just not sure about. Here's the question. It's in verse 16. He says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, this question that he asks sets up the whole interaction between him and Jesus. Okay, the, he, he throws out this question, and it's going to define the whole rest of the conversation. Jesus takes this man's words uh, literally, not, not just the concept, which he certainly does take the concept seriously, but, but even the way he's asking and the wording that he uses. The question sets up the whole exchange. This guy is concerned about eternal life with God. He has spiritual questions relating to pleasing God and earning eternal life. 
And here's my read on that initially is that this guy's kind of got this life figured out. And so as he's thinking about the different ways that he can be a good steward of what God's given him and and be a good person, he's thinking now about like, well, since this life's dialed, I'm a little concerned about the next life kind of thing. And Jesus responds to him in a pretty tough way. Again, here's this question, verse 16. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus responds in verse 17. He says, why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. We'll stop right there. Why does Jesus respond this way? Jesus isn't saying, why ask me about good because I'm not good. That's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, Jesus is challenging this man's understanding of what is good. What is this man's understanding of what is good? Obviously, this guy feels that there must be some good that he himself is capable of. Because he's asking, how can I be good enough to earn salvation? How how can I improve what I'm doing to feel better about my eternal security? How can I feel more secure about my standing with God? based on my actions, because I feel like I've got everything going for myself. I'm doing all the right things, but I still have this insecurity. You, you see the kind of, he, he's like drilling way down, maybe, maybe showing more of his cards than he realizes. Bad poker player. Jesus' reply is, only God is truly good. And what he's saying is, he's saying you may be amazing, but you can never be good. Only God is good. Jesus reminds the man that God is the standard for what is good. Jesus is holding this guy to a high standard, making sure that, you know, that that he understands what he's asking, making sure that he understands what he's revealing by asking this question. And Jesus is simply saying eternal life isn't another transaction to be negotiated. This guy's obviously good at that kind of thing. It's not another relationship to be fostered. It's not a form of reward for good behavior. Eternal life requires the kind of good that only God is capable of. Jesus is saying that we don't have the ability to be truly good. And so he gives this man a command that is impossible to obey apart from God's grace. The command that he gives highlights our need, certainly this man's need, for a Savior. We need a Savior because we can't be good enough to earn salvation. He says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus responds, why ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asks. And Jesus replies, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, listen, listen to the guy's confidence. He's like, man, I, I've got all that, right? I've, I've, I work on that. I, I'm really good at those things. He says, I've obeyed the, these commandments, the young man replies. What else must I do? It's a bold response. I've obeyed all these commands. And I'm sure Jesus could have, you know, sat back and said, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> What about, what about this one time, right? But Jesus, see, Jesus doesn't need to do that with him because he follows it up with that question. He says, what else must I do? The guy understands he can't perform his way to heaven, but here he is asking, what else must I do? He, he, he's missing something. I just hear this sincere longing in his request. This guy wants to be right with God. This guy has really thought about this stuff. 
He really, really wants to be right with God. And what's interesting about this desire is that he recognizes that he's lacking. This rich, young ruler recognizes that he's lacking. He recognizes that all of the good things that he's been given in life and all the good ways he's stewarded those things is not enough. There's a deeper insecurity in him that none of his strong points address. His financial success isn't bringing him the peace that he's looking for. His youth and vitality, it's not bringing him the comfort and peace that he's looking for. His social standing isn't bringing him the peace he's looking for. His religious obedience, it's not doing it. He says, what else must I do, right? And look up from your Bibles right now and just think honestly. I bet some of us in here are wondering If we were in this guy's place, would we feel like we were lacking something? If if I was the rich young ruler, think about that for a second. I think it might be very difficult for me to get over the rich part enough and the influence part enough. I'd feel pretty stinking important, right? I would, actually. Yeah, you could say yes. But it it would be hard to get over that. Here's this guy that, that, in light of all of that, has come to a point where he's like, man, I, this isn't enough. What else must I do? It seems like he'd reached his end. It seems like he'd exhausted his efforts. And he recognized he's, he's coming up short. He's kind of hitting the ceiling. All of his resources, his wisdom, his efforts, his stewardship even, probably had excellent stewardship of his wealth. This wealthy young leader recognized that he's still lacking peace with God. What else must I do? He's saying, what am I missing? And man, what a setup, right? It's like lobbing a slow pitch to Jesus. And Jesus is just like, you know, about to just crank it out of the park right now. That this moment of humility before God is a moment, church, that I pray each one of us has this morning. You see how the Holy Spirit had allowed this man to position himself in a healthy, right place before Jesus? where we take an account of our lives, where we look at the things that we do, where where we look at our best efforts to be obedient and our best efforts to be good, and we take a a good, right, honest accounting, and we say, you know what, this is coming up short. Jesus, what what else can I do? I pray that that we hit that today. That's my prayer. Jesus sees this opportunity to confront this man's blind spot, his weaknesses, this missing piece. And so Jesus reveals this man's true source of joy and security. He's about to just kind of open it all up for the guy. But if you look in the account in the book of Mark, uh, you'll see it in Mark chapter 10. Jesus does this in love. The apostle Mark includes this, this one little phrase. Right as Jesus is about to respond, the apostle Mark says this in verse 21. He says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. See, Jesus exposes the true source of this man's joy. He he shows this man the true source of his security, but Jesus does it because he loved the guy. It's an act of love that brings Jesus this far. Without love, Jesus could easily just let the man wallow in uncertainty for the rest of his life. Instead, Jesus lovingly reveals the truth to this guy about where his faith and his hope really lies. Say you believe this, but I'm about to show you what you really believe. 
Jesus, therefore, responds in love. He responds with truth, and he lovingly, truthfully delivers the hard truth about this man's deepest insecurities. This man had true longings, right? He's like, what do I lack? What am I missing? I've got so much. This man had deep insecurities. He had so much, but he still knew his salvation wasn't secure. There was this underlying insecurity he was dealing with. He knew there was something lacking. And Jesus gives it to him straight. He says, if you want to be perfect, right? Remember, Jesus had just told him, only God is good, right? And now he says, if you want to be perfect, well, we all know only God is perfect. See, Jesus isn't prescribing a couple of extra tasks for this guy to perform, and then he'll be perfect before God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, The word that Jesus uses for perfect here, that's being translated as perfect in this translation, the word literally means that which reached its aim. That which reached its aim. So it'd be like you could use one arrow and shoot it three different times, right? And the first time, like if I shot it the first time, it would definitely not be a perfect arrow, right? Probably hit the guy standing way away from the target. And the next guy comes up and shoots it. Not a perfect arrow. It kind of ends up at the very edge of the target. But then you have someone that just came back from camp and they're just all fired up to show off and bam, and they, they're able to hold the bow just right. They're able to hold the arrow just right and provide just the right amount of tension. And the arrow takes a different path, right? A different path than when I shot it, the same arrow. There, there's just all these nuanced different ways that that arrow goes down this different path, nails the bullseye, and that is what Jesus is talking about. That's perfect. It reached its aim. It's a perfect arrow. Same arrow shot three times. It's referring to the trajectory He's saying, if you're aiming for salvation, you got, a, you got everything going for you. You're a good guy. You're a nice guy. But listen, you don't understand what's really good. You're not good. Only God's good. You're going down this path. Salvation's right over here, guy. This is, this is the path you need to go on. He's, he's lovingly, gently, but firmly redirecting him, setting his course. Perfect is this way, not that way. Jesus gives it to him straight, if you want to be perfect. See, he confronts his self-identity. He's saying this very hard thing for the man to hear. Listen to what Jesus tells him. He tells him, if you want to, this is in verse 21, he says, if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, in this one sentence, Jesus confronts and he exposes this man's truest treasure. See, he had a lot of earthly wealth. But the problem is, his wealth had become his treasure. He was treasuring his wealth above God. And Jesus confronts his his truest treasure, his truest source of joy, his truest and deepest self-identity. For this particular man, it was associated with his wealth. Jesus confronts it. It's so gnarly. This guy is wealthy. He has so much he would have to give away. It would be like my entire block doing a garage sale. Like, get, sell my stuff? Seriously? And then give the money away? I don't even keep the money? See, Jesus goes right to the root of the issue. He offers this man an exchange. He says, get rid of one treasure and receive a better treasure. He says, follow me. And isn't this what God does with each of us? Think for a moment. What's one thing that you can't live without, that you couldn't imagine living without. 
right? For some of us, it's our job. The idea or the threat or the possibility or the thought even of losing our job, it's just like sends us into cold shivers sometimes. Maybe it's our house, our living situation. Maybe it's retirement funds or or our security, our financial security as we look out ahead of ourselves. Maybe it's our health. The health is is the idol. And we're doing everything we can to be physically healthy. And putting that above God. Maybe it's our kids and all the things that are associated with our kids. That's a big one in my heart. I have to check myself so often with my kids because there's so many things attached to that. There's so many things, so many good things. And honestly, these things are gifts from God. These things are meant to bless us. These things are meant to excite us. These things are meant to like edify and and build one another up and expose and explain the gospel of Jesus to the world around us. These are good things, right? Even even our wealth, these are good things that God's given us. But these things can also keep us from a better treasure, the truer treasure of following Jesus when we hold them too high. See, God exposes these lame things that we treasure. When we treasure something too much, when we treasure something above God, it's no longer a blessing. It becomes a burden for us. God convicts us of the lesser things that we value more than we value him. He, he exposes our fears. Like, I don't want to give this up because then I won't have that thing and then I won't be secure, right? I, I won't be the same person I am if you take that away from me. He exposes that. He reveals our insecurities in that moment. And then he offers to replace this lame treasure that we hold too dearly with a better treasure of following him. And that's our prayer today, that, that God would do that in each of us. So let's back to our passage, verse 21. Jesus tells him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22. It's the saddest verse in this whole thing. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. You see, Jesus challenges this wealthy young man to imagine his life without all of his wealth. And this young man couldn't do it. Right? He was confronted with the root of his lacking. He probably tried to count the cost of trading treasure with Jesus. He's looking at his stuff. He's looking at his reputation. He's considering the way he thinks about himself. He's considering the way other people probably think about himself. He's considering his social standing. He's, con- he's saying, like, you know, I'm kind of important. Like, I'm a ruler of, you know, of whatever, however he was a ruler. He's like, if I step away from all of this, people need me, Right? Like, he's, he's counting the cost of laying all of this down. Remember Chad's message from several weeks ago, a kingdom math, you know, God's kingdom economy? So he's, he's doing the math, right? But he hadn't taken, you know, kingdom economy math yet, right? And, and he's doing the math. He's like, wait, this doesn't add up. Like getting rid of this plus getting rid of this plus getting rid of this doesn't equal better treasure. Not working out. Tragically, this young man walks away from Jesus, and he walks away sad. It's okay to value the good things that God gives us. It's okay even to be wise and protective of the things that God's given us. It's good to be good stewards and protective of your wealth and of the things that God's blessed you with. You know, we're not to be foolish with it. We're not to be unwise with it. We're to be very wise But we must remain open-handed with the lesser treasures of life when the Lord calls us to lay it down. 
See, this man, as it is exposed in this passage, was not being a good steward of the wealth that God had blessed him with. He was not being a good steward of the position and the influence that God had blessed him with. he, He was holding on to it unto himself as if it was his and not a gift from God. We're to remain open-handed with these because the lesser treasures will never actually satisfy us. They, they can bring us happiness and, and even be part of God's joy in our life when they're put at the right place, when God is above all and he's ruling our treasure. But that includes when God says, hey, sell all your stuff and follow me to some crazy other country that you've never even heard of, right? It includes that. Like, the treasure is still just as good. The lesser treasures never offer hope or joy or peace beyond the moment. And we know this. We all know this. Our culture is jam-packed with tragic tales of young, talented, wealthy people of influence that give themselves to their talent. And they give themselves to their industry. They give themselves to celebrity, right? And these tragic tales of, of trading this lesser treasures of this world. And, and they walk away sad from true treasure. Tragic. This wealthy young guy knew this. That's why he asked, what do I lack? What am I missing? And when Jesus identifies a lesser treasure, and he says, let go of this. This isn't the path to God. You're, you're way off the target. You're shooting an arrow like Billy shoots, right? If you want to aim to be right with God now, if you want to aim to be right with God forever, he's like, you need to adjust. You need to let go of this and, and, and pick up another arrow. If you want to hit the mark of knowing God, let go, come follow me. And tragically, this man can't imagine his life without his wealth. And so he misses out on a truer treasure. He misses out on a better treasure. This man cannot see the better treasure for what it is. He's treasuring the lesser treasure, and he walks away from Jesus sad. Verse 22 says that he went away from Jesus sad because he had many possessions, right? He, he looked at his stuff, right, like, like we all would do. And he looked at what Jesus is offering. It's quite simple. This man placed a higher value on his stuff, on his earthly wealth and the comfort and reputation and social standing and importance and religious standing, all that stuff. He put a higher value on that stuff than following Jesus. See, the man's economy wasn't God's economy. He chose to leave with the same treasure That he had when he came to Jesus. Isn't that tragic? He chose to keep his wealth and his lifelong religious striving and his lifelong insecurity with God. He chose to hold on to that rather than exchange it for a truer treasure. See, that is so heavy. That's so sad to me. That is always the result when we don't treasure Jesus above everything else. That will always be the result of us treasuring something else more than Jesus. We will always leave sad. And sometimes we find that we're willing to sacrifice better treasure to gain lesser treasure. See, the root issue here is the sin of idolatry. The wealthy young man values his wealth and social standing more than he values following God. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I do this kind of thing, I call it, you know, something short of idolatry, you know? Like in our Christian culture, we tend to call it like self-preservation or something like that. The Bible calls it idolatry. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, he's asked straight up, just 
point blank, what is the most important law? Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is, equ the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. See, this young man is breaking the most important law of all. He's putting his wealth and his security ahead of God. This man's wealth and security is too valuable to this young man. He had made his wealth his idol. It, it was above God. And this is why Jesus continues to explain to his disciples, okay? The rich young guy walks away sad. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, this is in verse 23, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Man, Jesus is being explicit about what wealth has the power or the possibly has the power to do to our hearts. He says that wealth can make it impossible for people to follow Jesus. What Jesus is saying is it's really, really hard. It's really hard to have wealth and do a good job following Jesus. It, that's not going to be easy. <coughs> Money and especially wealth can distract us from our deeper needs and it can blind us to the truth. So the Apostle Paul said in Timothy, 1 Timothy. So those of us who are wealthy, right, which I identified earlier, I believe it's everyone in this room. We're either wealthy or we're comfortable. We desire wealth. We all experience this struggle every day. Or at least, I hope, by the grace of God, we recognize the struggle every day. That, man, our, because of the nature of our hearts, wealth has this tendency to be this thing that our hearts just turn to and we tend to turn away from God. That's just a tendency. We need to be aware of that. Jesus says it's hard. It's difficult. We're not above that. Wealth can insulate us from the very people that Jesus said he came to save. Wealth can put us in a house behind a wall, behind a locked gate, around other people that are just like us, and keep us away from the people that we're supposed to be going and loving. And so it's not wrong to live that way. That's an amazing blessing from God. But what it means is it's going to take more work for us to figure out how am I supposed to be on mission as a Christian. I don't want to let my wealth blind me or distract me or insulate me from God's call in my life to go to the nations and tell everybody about Jesus and what he taught. So what do I therefore need to do in light of this wealth? How am I to steward this? How am I to walk in light of this difficult blessing that God has given me? How do, how do I change my life so that I can do the things Jesus has called me to do? See, see how it's complicated to steward our wealth? Because wealth can insulate us from that. Wealth can distract us from God's mission. One of the ways it does that is it causes us to spend too much of our time, too much of our emotional bandwidth. We spend too much of our time. We tend to, or we can. We have the, the possibility of spending way too much of our time acquiring wealth, 
conserving our wealth, spending our wealth, managing our wealth, all of that. Now again, that is a good, awesome thing that God's given us the ability to do that. But you see how it's hard to, be, to live our lives according to the way Jesus lived and be wealthy. So we have to figure out, how do I manage and make and steward and do this in light of what God has called me to do as a Christian? It's hard. Jesus says it's difficult. Wealth can cause us to think sometimes that we're safe and secure and at peace because we're comfortable. While there's a good chance, because it, because it blinds us from the truth, like the Apostle Paul says, well, there's a good chance that we're, we could be drifting away from God and we wouldn't know it. Wealth can provide physical comfort and pleasure that temporarily mask truer, deeper needs. Wealth has this incredible ability, because of the nature of our hearts, to distract us from truer treasure. See, wealth can be very, very tricky, very hard, as Jesus said, to steward wealth. But it's not just wealth. There are other lesser treasures that we make idols as well. And Jesus confronts the one thing that means too much to this wealthy man. But I believe in today that God is wanting to do the same thing with us today. It's tough because um, you have to count the cost, right? There's a cost to following Jesus. Like for this rich young guy, it was his wealth. Wealth got in the way of his heart worshiping God. He might have been worshiping God with his hands. He might have been worshiping God with his mouth. He might have been worshiping God with where he went and when he went there, but he wasn't worshiping God with his heart. And Jesus said, in order to have access to your heart, we need to take this idol off of it. We need to purify your heart. We need to make your heart clean by removing this idol. And today, maybe God is calling you to remove an idol from your heart. And you have to count the cost. What is my life like without that? It's a tough choice. Because we all have things in our lives that have the possibility of becoming an idol, not just wealth. So many things have this possibility. Countless things in my life. Possibly I could hold too dear. And today I wonder if we're willing, if each of us, you know, we have this wonderful perspective on, on history and scripture and the, the full life of Jesus set in the context of God's eternal plan. We've got this wonderful perspective that we're hearing this story from. Tremendous benefits over this rich young ruler, right? If, if only he could see he's going to be this gnarly aspect of this story, you know? Good for us, though. We look at this, and we have to balance. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? What's my economy? What, how am I calculating the risk factor in, in giving up? Whatever it is. Maybe it's position. Maybe it's whatever. Reputation. Maybe it's wealth. You see, when it came down to it, this rich young man's idol, this thing that he held too powerful, had or, or, or gave too important a position, it had real power. His idol had real power. It had real power, as good a guy as he was, as religious a guy as he was, a regular attender at church, right? He's the kind of guy that would show up early with his Bible to pray. People would look at him and say, man, that guy's got it all going on. See, in his heart of hearts, he wasn't really following God. He was looking for another way to perform his way into heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you can't do that. You don't get to set the terms. And I wonder today, when it comes down to it, are we willing to count that cost? Jesus gave this man what he was asking for. He gave him what he wanted. This guy was asking for truth, and Jesus loved him enough to be brutally honest. 
But when Jesus put his finger on that one thing, he went right to, the, right to the raw nerve, you know. It's like the dentist. He finds the one place, you know. Jesus went right there and put his finger on it. And as soon as he did, the guy's like, I'm out. He walked. This is the place where God loves to take us. This is the place where God's love will take each of us. This place where we change. This is the place where we grow. But some people are confronted by God's love. And some people, when we get to that place before God, where the Holy Spirit is like starting to remove scales and we start to see God for who he is, and we see this amazing love of God, and we see this radical plan of salvation, we see this incredible sacrifice of God himself putting himself buck naked on a cross, being tortured and spit upon, and goes all the way to the point of death, being buried in a grave, and then breaks out of the grave, bringing himself back to life, declaring victory over death. This, the only way to defeat sin, the only way to defeat death, God pulls all that off. God brings us to that place. And man, some of us, when we get to that place and God puts his finger on the, that thing, it becomes a deal breaker. This can be the place where some people decide that God requires too much of them. Some have this wonderful encounter, but leave valuable treasure on the table. There are many who walk away from Jesus sad. This guy is not an isolated case here. And so today's text is a warning for us. We are to ask the Lord to identify the things that we treasure. Not, not just the blessings of God and the good things we have in life. Jesus isn't saying get rid of everything that God's blessed us with, but we're to be honest before God. Like, what am I treasuring? What am I living for? What's giving me hope and security and joy? What, what is directing the arrows that I fire? Is it my wealth? Is it my reputation? What's getting in the way of, being, of, per, of shooting for perfection? We're to ask Jesus to expose and confront the lesser treasures. And today might be a day of freedom for those among us who are willing to leave behind lesser treasure. Today could be the day of salvation and hope and joy for those of us who are willing to exchange the lesser for the valuable. And notice that Jesus doesn't offer the man a third option. Okay, um, this is something that, that God just totally put on me the other day. That's what I would do, right? I would be negotiating with Jesus. Okay, wait, about the third way, you know? Like, what about the way where I get to, like, keep the dough? And, you know, like, God, he, he doesn't offer him a third option. Jesus says, leave it and follow me. And so often we're quick to create a third way for ourselves and for others. And maybe some of us today are harboring treasure like treasuring treasure in our hearts and trying to follow Jesus at the same time and it's not working out. It's a, it's a joyless pursuit or it's become like a, a, a laborious thing, like a, a works thing. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I've met people on a Sunday morning that come up and they've got, you know, a sincere prayer request. I'm feeling far from God. I'm, you know, I'm having trouble really feeling the presence of God and knowing that God loves me and that he's for me and that he blesses me and I'm like, man, I'd love to connect with you and, like, hear more about that and pray with you and pray with them. And then we sit down in the meeting, and they're just like, they have to tell me the first thing they say. They're like, I've been in an affair for, like, two years. I'm like, okay, well, you know, where your treasure is is going to be the first thing that God is going to reveal when he's calling you to himself. You don't get to add Jesus to an, your little idol shelf on your heart. Jesus is saying, get rid of that. Get rid of that. That holds too much power. 
I've met people who, tr who try the craziest things, swindling and cheating at business, trying to follow Jesus. People with like empty shell of a marriage, they're not giving themselves in any way present to the, the blessings that God has called them to in the marriage relationship. And they expect to have the Sunday game face and be all stoked and, you know, hey, let's get fired up on Jesus, right? It's like the rich young ruler doing everything right, coming to the presence of Jesus. And I hope today for some of us, maybe that might feel like we're in that place, that God's going to put his finger on what's keeping you from intimacy, what's keeping you from following Jesus. Now, some people want to hear, yeah, that's okay, just add Jesus to that. But today's text confronts that as false theology. Today's text draws a line in the sand and says you're either following Jesus or you're treasuring some other treasure. We don't simply add Jesus to our other treasures. Today, some of us need to hear that Jesus is offering us freedom from lesser treasures. And see, this can be really scary for us. Because here's the deal. Satan, we have a true enemy. Satan would love for today to be a day where we question God's goodness and we question God's faithfulness. This has been Satan's tactic uh, from the beginning of time. Satan is always trying to convince us that God is trying to take good things away from us. That God's trying to rob us of joy. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, it was the good-looking fruit, right? Remember how God said, don't touch that, don't eat that, right? Like I tell my kids, don't even look, about it. look at it. Don't even think about looking at it anymore, right? And, th and there she is, you know, looking at it, and Satan's like, come on. It's a blessing from God, right? Why would God give something so beautiful and so good? And it's not going to, what do you, look, it's fruit, right? Just like he does with us. But it's just, wow, it's just, you're so important. Look, I've got you in this important spot. You can't give that up. That's what Satan does. He gets us to, tries to get us to doubt God. Satan will tell us, you don't really need to lay that down. That's a good thing. And I think sometimes we think, or some of us might think, that God stands in the way of our treasure, that God's trying to rob us of joy or rob us of security. That's not true. And, and there's other people that, that, that I've met with that think that God is like their pathway to wealth. That like if I'm a better Christian, if I'm better at obeying God, he's going to bless me more and he's going to make me more financially secure. But see, Jesus isn't in the way of your treasure. He's not. He's not blocking you from being blessed. And Jesus isn't your pathway to treasure either. Listen, everyone look up. I know you're, hopefully you're writing notes is what you're doing. But listen, <laughs> Jesus himself is our treasure. He's not keeping you from treasure. He's not your pathway to treasure. Jesus is your treasure. He's to be treasured. Jesus is the treasure offered in our text today. Jesus isn't offering this man something worse. He's offering him a much better treasure. But Satan wants us to think that surrendering what we treasure is the worst path. The truth of today's text is that following Jesus is always the better treasure. Now, at some point in his life, okay, in today's text, Peter's not showing his best face, right? He's like, what's in it for me, basically? <laughs> but at some point in his life, Peter gets it, right? Peter gets it. Read the books of First and Second Peter. Later on in his life, as he's writing to these churches that he had helped plant and start and, and all of that, he's, man, it's just incredible. He talks about his faith, and God refines our faith through hard times, just like you, ref you refine gold with fire, except for your faith and the relationship you have with Jesus is so much more valuable than gold, he says. 
We know through church history that Peter ends up being crucified upside down on a cross for his faith. He believed that much that knowing Jesus and following Jesus was so much better. And the reward for it was so much better. Like Jesus says, a hundred times better, right? He's not talking about having like a hundred moms or a hundred houses if you give up one. That's absurd. He's talking about it's immeasurable, the blessing. He's like, you can't even understand how amazing it's going to be when God is ruling and reigning from heaven before the elders of the church and all, all of creation. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be astounding. Don't trade that experience for this experience. Both Peter and Paul gave everything to follow Jesus. Paul said that he counted everything on this earth as garbage in comparison to the joy of knowing Jesus. So often we're slow to believe this, though. Peter and the disciples were slow to believe this. They were slow to understand it. Because their paradigm would have been like, hey, this is a wealthy young guy coming before Jesus on his knees, asking really, really good, sincere spiritual questions. So it would have been totally confusing that this wealthy young man walks away sad. They would have been like, wait, what's going on? When Jesus said that salvation is nearly impossible for the wealthy, they're like, but didn't God bless them and that's why they're wealthy? Like, they're trying to add all this up. Look at their response in verse 25. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. See, Jesus is saying, either be perfect like God, which is absolutely impossible for humanity, or follow me. And he offers himself the only way to salvation, the only way to eternal security. He offers himself to this young man. Verse 27, then Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? So what's in it for us? See, Jesus responds that the treasure of knowing and following Jesus will far outshadow any other blessing, any other treasure that we have in this life. Nothing can compare to the glorious reality of knowing and being known by Jesus. And it's crazy. We're so slow to come to this. We're so slow to really adopt that into a lifestyle of like really trusting God and putting things on the altar, letting God either take it away or, or organize it in such a way that it brings him glory. And because we're slow to believe this and we're slow to live that out, sometimes we tend to strive for position here on earth. We tend to, we we strive for first place. We want to climb the ladder. We start believing commercials and billboards, right? We start being caring about what kind of car we drive and what, you know, like these stupid things in the world, the way the world evaluates and, and categorizes things start to become important to us because we lose sight. We lose perspective of what's really important. And lesser treasures become too important to us. It's like slaves being offered freedom, but not trusting that freedom is better than slavery, right? And so these two slaves that reject freedom, they spend the rest of their life fighting for who's going to be first in line on our way to slave labor every day, right? Pointless. Why would you, you know, that's just the most foolish thing ever. When offered freedom, they would rather spend their life jockeying for position in the slave labor line. That's exactly what wealth has the tendency to do in our hearts if we're not very, very careful, Jesus is saying. We end up pushing and shoving each one another, standing in line for slave labor. Both Peter and Paul experienced tough times in life. They had to walk by faith. They had to take God's word for it that Jesus is better. And 
that's, maybe God is saying that. He's like, wait and see. Trust me. Just wait and see. And there's some things that we just need to trust God. We need to walk by faith, the Bible says. We just have to wait and see that it's good. I hate waiting, right? Amazon Prime's not even fast enough for me. I, I get so frustrated that there's not stores that have, like, the things that I go to Amazon for. Because I'm like, I don't want to wait two days for that, you know? We hate waiting for stuff. I, I hate waiting for stuff. Maybe you don't. But we're told to wait and see. But the Bible also tells us not only to wait and see, but also to taste and see. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. See, the wealthy young man walked away sad because he didn't taste and see. He didn't take a step of faith. The wealthy young man refused to follow Jesus. And so he could not taste and see the goodness of it. It's the same pitfall I've experienced in my life. There are areas that I keep off limits to God. There are lesser treasures that I guard hidden places. And those are the things that keep me, in in the past, have kept me, for sure, from tasting and seeing the goodness of God. We know that Jesus has already abandoned his own wealth in order to offer this rich young man life, right? We know, again, from our perspective, being able to look back on history, having the Bible, we know that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty he could make you rich. See, Jesus was walking proof of the truth and the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus was walking proof of this kingdom economy. If only this rich young man had known that Jesus had already become poor for his sake. But how much better is this choice for us? See, Jesus walks before us in abandoning every other treasure for the sake of truer riches. See, God himself took the humble place of a slave. God himself died a criminal's death on the cross. And God did that for his glory and for our benefit. He did that to provide us an answer to that question that this man is asking. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? to fill this one area of life that my riches and my reputation and my position and my family and all this awesome stuff that I have in my life, it's just not doing it. There's one area. God himself became poor, abandoned the riches of of heaven for our benefit. Jesus is not standing in the way of our treasure. Jesus is not offering himself as a pathway for your treasure. Jesus himself is our treasure. And today Jesus is saying, come to me. All of you who are, who are burdened by lesser treasures. All of you who are burdened by striving, wanting to earn, worried about your reputation, what people think of you. Come to me. I will give you rest. You're heavy laden. And so responding to this today just means two things. We need to walk by faith and wait and see that God is good to his word. We need to take a step of faith today. Responding means two things, right? Take a step of faith. The second is taste and see. You wait and see by faith, and you taste and see by faith that he himself is good. Part of this trusting that he will do what he says he's going to do. And part of this is taking a step of faith today and tasting his goodness now. Verse 25, the disciples were astounded, it says. They say, who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently. He says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is 
possible. Listen, true treasure requires faith. True treasure requires faith. Man can't perform his way to heaven. And so some might be asking, what do I need to do to be saved today? Salvation, this true treasure, is only possible by God's power and by God's grace. Only God can save us. And God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the only way to salvation. Only God can save us and only God can satisfy us. Maybe there's some people like the rich young ruler. They're like, I have a lot. I think I'm on the right path, but I'm just not satisfied. I, I think I'm following God okay. Only God can satisfy you. And God satisfies us through Christ alone. And sometimes wealth blinds us to this need for a Savior. Sometimes wealth helps us avoid our true hope that's only found in Christ. Sometimes wealth distracts us from treasuring true treasure. And so today, let's pray that God does the same act of grace, the same work of salvation. He reveals that same amazing love and truth to us today in our wealth, in our treasure, as he did with this rich young man. And that we would have the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to respond. Amen? And Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask you corporately now, each of us individually, we ask you together, Lord, expose things that I've exalted too high a place in my heart. Show me things that are blinding me to my truest needs. God, help me see the things that I cling to that keep me from fully laying hold of the treasure, the better treasure of following Jesus. God, show us our distractions, the things that prevent us from tasting and seeing God's goodness. God, help us to taste and see and know that you are good. And Jesus, that today we would, as we taste and see, as we commit ourselves to wait and see, that Jesus, we would see and declare and submit to you as the treasure worth treasuring. In Jesus' name, amen.